You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. So, yeah, I'm going to take off. You know, we've been talking for some time about, uh, well, for a couple of weeks, about peace and the peace of God in our lives. And really, for me, uh, that little side channel came out of the flow of this that the Lord is putting on my heart about prayer. And I don't know how long this will go on. This is the first uh, day in this. So I'm just going to go through some ideas with you. We'll look at a few scriptures, but I mainly just want to go through some basic ideas with you uh, about prayer. And uh, I wanted to start, I mean, we can, we can read this, this verse. This is one of the foundation verses that we'll be looking at, James 5.16. This is from the Amplified. It says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. And we'll, we'll dig into that verse in a little bit. But before we even do that, I just wanted to start with just getting us to think a little bit. When I say the word prayer, everybody has a certain context that they, puts it, that they put that in. Some of you are very excited about prayer and it's a great thing in your life. Some of you, it's just sort of a side note. Uh, for some people, it, it seems like it's work. Or for some people, I've met people where it's sort of a scary place to go because they're not yet real comfortable with the Lord. They're not real grounded in who they are in Christ. And so it's, it's kind of a scary place for some people. I like to say it's kind of work. You know, it's, it's difficult. They, they kind of put it in a framework of I have to do such and such to have a good prayer life. I would like during this time for all of that to go away for all of us because I believe, uh, and, and we'll see from the scripture, there are a lot of different kinds of prayer in the first place. I mean, the Bible lays out a bunch of different kinds of prayer. And then as different as all of us are, think about the different, um, I'm not talking about necessarily good and bad communication. Some of us have real bad habits in communication. Some of us are not good communicators and some of us are real good communicators. Some of us talk a lot, but we're still not good communicators. Uh, but, but the point is that with God, prayer is supposed to be two-way communication. And so that involves a lot of listening as well as speaking you will have, there is a natural place for you in prayer. There is a prayer life for you that is very natural to you and very fulfilling. And that's what I want people to find. I also want us to know that the Bible does mandate and, and lays out for us a bunch of different kinds of prayer. We're not gonna, I, I, may, I may, I doubt it, get as far as at least giving you a list of those today. But at some point during this, we'll go through those and we'll talk about that. But I want us to just sort of talk about the foundation, talk about what our context is. And so that's my question for you this morning is for all of us for a bit, just to think about what is your context for prayer? And by that, I mean, uh, I started out, I, I started out thinking about this this morning. What was the, what's the first thing that I can remember about prayer? What can I remember praying as a little kid? And for some of you, there was no prayer as a little kid. For some of you, you grew up with really good prayer models that really understood prayer. Uh, I was kind of in between those. I was in a house where they believed in God, uh, but they were Catholic. Nobody was born again yet. Uh, they all got born again later. But, you know, nobody was born again yet. 
But my, my mom in particular had a strong belief, a strong faith in God. She didn't have all the context for it that we have knowing the word the way that we do. She was essentially brought up in a system that prayer and everything else was, uh, honestly, a lot of it was just about making you more dependent on the church and the priests and the structure rather than dependent on God. And so she didn't know a lot that we have discovered, but she had an honest, genuine heart toward God. She believed that God heard her prayers. She would pray and she would pray conversationally to the Lord, which that's really good because that wasn't encouraged either. I'm not sure when she learned that. But anyway, she would sit up at night when all of us were out doing things we shouldn't have been doing and pray for us. And I'm convinced that the reason the rest of us, I say found the Lord, I mean, he wasn't lost, but you know, I mean, that the rest of us came to Christ at a point was because that woman sat up and I'd come home sometimes you know, doing whatever. And there was mom, the light was on up there, bummer. Cause I, sl- I had a room down in the basement so I could just slip in, you know, but not if mom was up, then I had to go in there. So anyway, but she'd be up and she'd be sitting there and she'd be praying. And it was a good thing she did. I mean, I imagine I'd be dead if she hadn't. So anyway, um, I attribute all of us coming to the Lord really to her prayers. But what I re- and I was thinking, I hadn't thought of this in years and years and years. I was thinking about this. What was my context for prayer? And I was thinking, I remember praying, now I lay me down to sleep. Did anybody else <laughs> have that one? Did you have that? Yeah, I know. It is kind of scary. And yet I got thinking about it. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. So I still remember it. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Okay. And at first I thought, oh, you know, that's kind of awful, you know, like some of the fairy tales. But really, I got thinking, well, from, I mean, I was really little then. I knew that this life is temporary, which it is. There is an eternal life, and I need to trust God about that. And if I'm going to go to sleep, or I'm going to, you know, whatever, I'm going to, you know, pass out here for a while, I need to be trusting God with my eternity. I never thought of it in that context, but it taught me all that stuff. Just that, just that simple prayer. And then later I learned kind of the rote, repeat them prayers, you know, uh, which didn't mean very much to me. Uh, Even though some of them say good things, it was just something you repeated out of habit for me. But, um, but, but anyway, so, so that was kind of, I mean, that was my earliest context for that. But again, I now know, at the time I didn't think much of it, but I now know I had a mom that prayed and that sat up praying and that trusted God. I mean, all of that, we didn't talk about that in detail. It wasn't like, you know, some of you who've grown up or your kids that are growing up and they have this, I mean, it's it's presented uh, very openly and importantly to your children, you know, about what prayer is and how involved God is in our lives. It wasn't like that but I still got it. It still, I believe, led me. When I was growing up as a little kid, I never had a doubt that God, and I wasn't born again. I didn't even know what born again meant, you know, which I think counts. You know, there was faith going forth from me, but I didn't know any of that. 
I knew and I believed that when I prayed, God heard me and that he would answer me. I never doubted that God would speak back to me. I remember several times as a child before I was saved, I know God spoke to me and told me something. Then it happened just that way, you know, that kind of thing. Because it just seemed natural. And I didn't have the kind of context that a lot of you or your kids did. But at any rate, so, so what, you know, there, there's a, all of us have some kind of context. Some of us were just taught, you know, uh, to just repeat prayers. Some of you had the advantage of learning about the promises of God, you know, and the word and what the word says and knowing that there are certain things that have been promised to us and are spoken by God and then uh, ratified by the blood of Christ at the cross that are yes and amen. I mean, those promises are ours. That was a whole new thought for me to realize that I could pray and, and know that I'm praying something that God already said. God already set this in motion. He already declared this. And I had to come to understand there's a battle going on on this earth. The promises and what God has established for us is a done deal. We're not trying to move God with our prayers. And I think that's a context that a lot of people grew up with. I've got to convince God. I've got to show my best side. I've got to, I've got to be just right. I've got to you know, I've got to do this in just the right order so that I can, you know, convince God. My sister and I, when we were kids, she taught me that uh, she was five years older than I am. And so she taught me in the summer, you know, we had, there was a reservoir, which was one of the only things to do where I grew up, and it was hot and humid. So anyway, we'd spend a lot of time out at the reservoir. Well, you know, we were too young to drive, so mom had to take us out there and drop us off for the afternoon, which I now know she probably was very happy to do. But at the time, we thought we had to convince her. So my sister taught me. She said, the time, don't ask mom in the morning. She's busy, you know, doing stuff. Don't ask mom in the morning about going out to the reservoir. Wait till she, she sits out the same time every day. She eats her lunch and she reads the newspaper and she takes that break. That's the moment because she's in the right mood. She's mellow. She's relaxed. She's not mad at us for whatever we did in the morning. That's the moment to ask, can we go out to the dam and swim today? I bet she was just waiting to get rid of us for the afternoon. But anyway, that's what we would do because you had to catch her in the right mood, you know, because she'd have to drive us out there and come get us later. And uh, so, I mean, some of us grew up with that kind of idea about God that we've got, to, boy, we've got to catch him in a good mood, you know? Got to catch him. When does he eat lunch, you know? <laughs> He's on a whole different time schedule than we are, you know? So some of us, there are all these things that, that we grew up with. And so I want to start this morning and just talk about some different ideas. I'm just going to give you some kind of one-liners, short paragraphs about prayer. And these are things we can just kind of put in the hopper and think about as we're looking into the different scriptures in the next few weeks. So here's the first one. I already said it. New Testament prayer is not intended to move God. That's where a lot of us think we're trying to move God with our prayers. God has already moved in Christ. He has moved 
as much as he needs to move and as much as he's going to move. He has already, he has spoken over 7,000 promises just in our Bibles, okay? Then in addition to that, things that align with those that he may speak to you personally. He has given his word. He has ratified it with the blood of his son. And those things are a done deal. Those, they come out of the aspect of his nature, of his covenants. He has made covenant agreement with us in which we stand. We have the word of God with all of those promises. And, and those are a done deal. Now, what we're doing, we're not trying to move God. We are grabbing hold of what God has said and done. We as the church, this is about more than us getting our prayers answered. This is about a lot more than us getting our needs met, than us getting what we're asking for. This is about us, the church, standing in this place as representatives of Jesus Christ and praying what is already established in the spirit realm in heaven into this earth. That's what prayer is about. Whether it, whether it involves something that we need, something somebody else needs, something that needs to change, we are praying in agreement with what God has already said. So we're not twisting God's arm in our prayers. It's a waste of time. You're not going to be able to twist his arm to do something that, is, that he hasn't already purposed to do. All right, does that make sense to you? So we're not trying to move God. He's already moved in Christ. And, and so what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, most of you know this verse. It says, as many as are the promises of God. All right, so we know Bible scholars tell us there's over 7,000 promises in our Bibles. All right, over 7,000 promises covering every aspect of life. And this scripture says, as many, every one of them, as many as are the promises of God in Christ, they are all answered yes. In Christ, they're all answered yes. So from God's side, every one of those promises to us is a yes. If you can find it in the word, if the Lord has said it about you, as if the Lord has said it about what he wants to do in the earth, if the Lord has said it about himself, I am the Lord God, your healer. I am your provider. I am your shelter. I am your shield. I am the great shepherd. I am the door. You can find whatever it is. Ask, you know, uh, knock and keep on knocking. Ask and you'll be answered. Whatever, whatever it is. Whatever it is, if you can find it in the scripture, from God's side, it is yes. All right? It is yes. It's already yes. And then the verse goes on and says, So through him we say our amen to the glory of God. We say our amen. Amen means so be it. That's what the word means. It doesn't mean the end. It means so be it. And so we are making a declaration. We are coming into agreement with God. We are, God has said yes. He has made a promise. He has said yes. And we on earth are saying, so be it. That's what's going on in prayer. We're not trying to change his mind or move him. If we're in that place where we're thinking, if we're thinking, I don't know, God hasn't noticed a need. Uh, he has. If he's, if God hasn't made provision for this particular thing. No, we're just unaware of what his provision is. We need to find it. Need to find it in the word. Need to find it through conversation with God. If we're thinking, God doesn't want to do this for me. 
I know he'd do it for somebody else, but he wouldn't do it for me. Then we're missing the fact that he's no respecter of persons. That he loves everybody. He loved us all while we were still fully in sin, fully engaged against him. He loved us then and sent Christ to die for us then. There's no limit to his love for us. He is no respecter of persons. What he has done before, he will do again. If we can find where he has done something, he's healed a body, he has raised the dead, he has cast out a devil, he has provided for somebody's business, we hear a testimony from somebody else. We, whatever it is, we can find that. We can take hold of that for ourselves. We are not in a contest with God in prayer. We are not debating with God. We are not... Um, you know, working antagonistically. He, and it's just so sad that so many people, it just, that grieves my heart that so many people grow up with this picture of God as, you know, just, just wanting to smack them upside the head, just wanting, you know. And, and it, you just think about that fact that while we were fully engaged in sin, in in not just behavior, but all of our belief and all of the whole context of our life going against the ways of God. At that point, he came and died for us so that we could be joined to him, so that we could be brought to him. I mean, who, who loves like that, you know? So we need to understand that we are, you know, the context of our prayer life needs to, we need to understand we're partnering with the Lord in prayer. Whatever we're praying, we're partnering with God in prayer. Okay, second one, prayer is diverse, all right? But it's always communication with God. It's always agreement with his word, with his nature, you know, with his intentions. But it is diverse. We're going to see there are a lot of different types of prayer. And those different types of prayer are appropriate in, in different settings. And they're, they're sort of, for lack of a better term, this is a, a sad one, but I haven't come up with anything better, with these different kinds of prayer there are kind of guidelines that go along with it. We, we approach it this, this way, okay? And, and we'll be getting into that, but, uh, but probably not too much this morning. Prayer is a vehicle for intimacy with God. We should all love intimacy with God. If not, you know, we're really, and I don't say this critically, it's just we're really missing something. I mean, it is the core of everything in our Christianity is communication with God, getting, I mean, think about it. We just sang that song, you know, and, and it just, just that, that last song makes God, it just, I don't know, it's just, it's just a big song, you know, it just makes God, doesn't make God big, but it, every time it makes me aware of his bigness and his greatness. And you see those images in the scripture of holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. And everybody on their face, you know, and that kind of thing. And then in the context of all that, we get to have this back and forth with God. Just this driving down the street. Why does that tree work like that stuff with God? You know, I mean, we get to have this intimate relationship with our father. It's so amazing. So it's prayers about intimacy with God. And so, and I'll probably say this to you a number of different ways. It involves it should probably first be listening. You know, because whenever we teach on communication, <laughs> sorry, it's all right. I've got to change out this cord, but it's okay. Um, 
It's just when I push it back by that transmitter. It, um, whenever we teach on communication, we talk about the role of listening because it's actually more important than speaking. You know, you need to do both, husbands. You need to actually verbalize sometimes, okay? But listening, understanding that other person's heart. And with God, since we want to agree with him in prayer, most of the time, here, I'll give you a clue. This is a great clue for you about prayer. If somebody's heart or attitude needs to change in the, when you're in prayer between you or God, guess which one it is. So, you know, so we need to listen and hear what the Lord is saying. And again, going back to the fact that yes and amen, our role then is in prayer a lot of the time is to declare what God is saying over a situation. It's not to come and say, hey God, did you know there's a drought? Did you know, you know, we need this or that? It's, it's to declare his life into that situation and call forth the rain and call forth the extinguishing of fires and, you know, whatever it might be. It is to speak and declare. Well, we got to hear him. In order to do that, we've got to be able to hear them. So it's, two, it's two-way communication. And a lot of times that requires quite a bit of silence on our part. So if, you, if your habit is that with prayer that, that it's very quick, you don't give much time for it, you don't set aside much time for it, so it's quick, you just ask or whatever, uh, you know, and, and like that, then, and then you're gone. Well, that doesn't work in regular relationships. It doesn't build good intimacy and relationship, you got to be able to be quiet. You got to be able to listen. That requires something of us. And I do think, I mean, I know we tend to think that things are harder in, you know, in our time than they were and, you know, all that. Well, it's always been hard. You know, right now there's all the, all the media, all the technology, all the images and stuff that we're bombarded with. Well, it used to be up, it used to be you had to get up at 3.30 in the morning to go out and get the cows in and milk them. So, I mean, there was still, it was always hard to take the time to be able to sit before the Lord at some point regularly in your life and get your heart and brain quiet so that you can hear him. He's not going to shout over all of your stuff. He doesn't. He gives you that still small voice. He's very confident, you know. And, and he'll get your attention when he needs to. But sometimes it takes a lot of silence on our end. Okay, you getting anything out of this? So another one, prayer is a delivery system through which God releases his will into the earth. He does that through his friends and partners, which is us. He delivers his will and his thoughts into the earth through our prayers. So again, it's not, we're not trying to convince him to do something. We're trying to grab hold of what he has and release it into the earth. It's a delivery system. And it's really important. The prayers of the church are incredibly important. You know, again, our words are important. I mean, without getting into that whole subject, life and death is in the power of the tongue. There are so many things that, uh, and, you know, we've developed this habit of just speaking what we see, just saying what we see, saying the problem over and over, having conversations with their friends about the problem over and over, instead of speaking what God says into the, into the situation. We need to be speaking. We need to be delivering God's will into this earth through our prayers. All right? Prayer, and you guys know this, is not something reserved just for church. 
or for special occasions or bedtime or crisis, okay? It's a continuous conversation with God that often leads to more specific focus type prayers. And we'll talk about that. Leads into intercession, whatever. But it needs to begin, almost always your prayer needs to begin with thanksgiving, praise, and worship. We got to get into his presence to have really good time. I'm not saying that, that, you know, I mean, bring this into everyday life. There are times when you're just going to talk to God in the morning as you're getting ready and you're going to head out. You just can't let that be your whole prayer life. You've got to have more focused times to that. Prayer is not limited to asking. A a lot of us uh, are only familiar with asking prayer, asking for things. That's a legitimate kind of prayer. It's called the prayer of petition. It's, It's asking God for what he has already provided. You know, it is asking God. It's pulling on what he's provided. Uh, Some of us are only familiar with asking prayer with confession of sin. A lot of people are, uh, you know, their context for prayer is just confession of sin, which is all these are legitimate, but they aren't the mainstay of prayer. Uh, Some of us are just familiar with repeating prayers, you know, repeating prayers that have been written down and just saying that, and then we move on. No real connection with the person of God. Some of us are just familiar with that. Or with emergency or end-of-life type prayers. I can remember um, a friend of ours, that you all know, uh, who is a nurse, talking about as we would go to the hospital to pray for people, or as she learned then to pray for people at the hospital when they were open to that, she noticed that a lot of times, as soon as she would ask, would you like prayer, people in the room would get really scared because their only context for prayer was, he must be dying or the nurse wouldn't be asking to pray. You know, and that was their only context. It was like, going to give last rites, you know, or something. And, and, and it, was so, it was so eye-opening to her. They never thought about prayer. She wanted to pray for their healing, you know, and for the family and all of that, they didn't have any context for that. It was just, oh no, this must be really bad if we're going to pray. <laughs> it doesn't have to be really bad to pray, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. If we pray more, sometimes it doesn't get really bad. Yeah. Um, think about Paul talking about all the times, he, you know, he'd be talking to one of his guys, you know, whether it was Timothy or you know, one of, one of his guys or talking to churches and saying, ever since I heard of your faith, I just keep thanking God for it. You know, every time, I, man, I, I see how you guys are preparing this offering to send to Jerusalem. I just keep thanking God for it. It's so inspirational to me. His, a lot of his prayer was thanking God for good stuff that he was seeing in people and that was going on in the church. It was, you know, we don't have to wait for a crisis. Uh, to, to begin to pray, you know. So, uh, so back to James 5.16. Again, I mean, get this. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Let's start with the righteous man part. So again, people will read that, and if they don't understand what righteousness is, then they'll think, 
oh, well, that ain't me. You know, my prayers aren't powerful because I just did this or that, or I, you know, I yelled at my dog this morning, you know, whatever it was. Uh, I'm not righteous. Righteousness is not a condition. It is a position that we have in Christ because of his blood that was shed on our behalf and the grace of God. Righteousness means to be in right standing with God, to be in a position of acceptance with God. And every one of us can say, but God is totally holy and I'm not. Yep, you're getting the point. That is grace. We are given this position. We are always in a place of righteousness. That's why we can confess our sin and and reappropriate forgiveness is because we still can come freely and openly to God. We can look him in the eye on our worst day and we can confess sin or we can uh, come and, and present something to him because the love doesn't change. He's our father at all times. We have that position. We are children in him. So when it says the prayers of a righteous man, it means every believer. Every single believer, okay? And so it says, the King James Version there uses the term effectual fervent prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, right? That comes from the Greek word energeio, which uh, is, it, that term is the term that describes the power that is at work in a miracle, the power that is released in a miracle. Anything that you see in the scripture, a miracle is something that supersedes natural laws, right? It is not just a cool thing that happened. Oh, that's a miracle, you know? Oh, they were nice to me this morning. That's a miracle. No, it's, it's something that truly supersedes natural law. Uh, you know, a, a healing can be a miracle. Sometimes, anyway, Healing can be a miracle. Many of the things we see in the scripture, you know, obviously the parting of the Red Sea is a miracle. Those kinds of things. Those are miracles, all right? The power that's at work in that, the power that brings a miracle to pass, that is what is translated here, effectual fervent prayer or the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer. That is the word. It's talking about the fact that this prayer of this person is going to release miracle power on the earth. All right, it's going to release that kind of power on the earth. Fervent does not refer to a tone of voice. Okay, doesn't refer to pleading just right, you know, uh, doesn't refer to time spent or sacrifices made. Uh, there are all kinds of things we can, you know, we can put into that. It means that this prayer is filled with faith toward God confidence in God. This is a prayer that's going forth out of, it is birthed out of confidence in God, right? Jesus taught us that. We'll look, I'm sure we'll look at those verses. He taught us that, uh, you know, if we ask believing and don't doubt in our hearts, anything we ask can be done for us, all right? And you gotta, you've, you've got to just engage with what the scripture says for you. We've all had prayers that, we didn't see answered, at least in the way we wanted them answered or in the time that, so you always have two choices there. You always, you can either go and you can seek God about that and say, Lord, is there something I can do better there? Is there, what was the hindrance there? What did I need to do? You know, because again, I'm partnering with you. There's no separation. You're not mad at me. Uh, We'll get into some more of that in a little bit about why we quit in prayer. We're not going to get there today, but why we quit. I've been thinking a lot about that. So at any rate, what this verse says, it's, it's this prayer is birthed in confidence and, and 
we just need to remember all things are possible with God, okay? And the prayers of a righteous man will release that miracle power. And the example that James gives there, are you still with me? The example James gives there uh, is from Elijah's life. And it says, this is in verses 17 and 18 of James 5. It says, Elijah was a human being with a nature such as we have with feelings, affections, and a constitution like ours. A lot of people don't think that. They don't think that those prophets were like we are. They don't think that the disciples were like we are. They were just like we are. Abraham was just like we are. That's one of the awesome things about the Bible, is it tells you, it tells you David's worst mistakes, but doesn't, doesn't destroy him, doesn't take him down as a man of God. Tells you times where Abraham totally blew it. And yet it doesn't take him down. He's still called the father of our faith. Tells you when, you know, Peter said some really stupid things. And, and yet Jesus specifically talked to him after the resurrection to get him back in his position and going on. Because they're just like we are. And that's what this is saying. Elijah, all the, think of all the stuff that happened with Elijah. He was a human being with a nature such as we have, with feelings, affections, and a constitution like ours. He prayed earnestly for it not to rain. It was under the direction of the Lord he did this. It wasn't just, I'm sick of the rain. Okay, It was, it was not just his will being brought out there. It was, it was something the Lord was doing. He prayed for it not to rain and no rain fell on the earth for three years and six months. Okay, if somebody's been praying that way over Western Colorado, stop it. Just stop it. And then he prayed again and the heavens supplied rain and the land produced its crops as usual. Those are, those are miracles. That's a miraculous thing. Those are the examples we're given. It says he was a regular person, but he was hearing what God was saying. He was praying what God told him to pray. And those were the results. So let that be an inspiration to us, okay? Let's look at a couple of these. We'll probably only get through a couple of them today. I just pulled out some of these verses because I called this prayer or pray without ceasing because that's what the Bible tells us to do, pray without ceasing. So we immediately start to think, well, you know, I have to do some other stuff. Yeah, God knows that. You know, Paul talked about praying without ceasing. Pray always, you know, we're gonna look at some of those verses Obviously, Paul, he had to travel, he made tents, he had a job, he, he planted churches and raised up people. He, he did all kinds of things. He didn't just go in a cave somewhere, go to the monastery and set himself apart and pray 24-7 for the rest of his life. That's not what it means. It means in every situation, in every context, and everything we go through, be in conversation with God, be talking to God about it. You know, it's, it's, it, that's one where you can't take it totally literally, but it should be this integral, it should be woven in to every part of our life and, and all of our waking time, you know. I mean, it, it's just really important. So in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, and, I, and we're going to go down through verse 8. We're going to go ahead and look at this. But um, it says, Now Jesus was telling the disciples a parable to make the point that at all times they ought to pray and not give up and not lose heart. And, the, and I'm going to jump down. I'm going to give you a little information on that, and then we'll go back and read the rest of this. We'll read the, the story that he told. So, so Jesus said, this is the point of the story I'm about to tell you. You ought to pray at all times. Okay, that word ought 
is a really important word wherever it's used in the New Testament. It means that which is necessary or suited to the needs of the moment. So in other words, we say this a lot. We say, I don't, I don't even know how to pray over this. I don't know about you, but I run into that a lot, especially the closer you get to an issue. I mean, if it's somebody who's sick, they need to be healed. I know how to pray over that. I know what the word says. I know the scriptures. I know how to pray over that. But the entanglements in people's lives that we're trying to pray over, people can make life really complicated. And sometimes I look at it and I go, man, there are so many facets to this. I don't know how to pray for this. Well, one thing the scripture tells us back over in Romans chapter 8 is that when we pray in the Spirit, pray in other tongues, the Holy Spirit prays through us. One of the wonderful things about tongues, Paul tells us over in 1 Corinthians, is that it bypasses the intellect. So where, and I don't know, I, I suspect some of you are like this. I sure am. You get munching on this situation and what these people have done and said and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. These other people are involved and da-da-da. And my brain just, you know, just crunches out. It, it's like, you know, just shorts out. I don't know how to untangle that. I have no idea. But I can pray over that situation in the Spirit and it will bypass my understanding. The Holy Spirit will speak through me in a language I don't understand. So my brain can take a break and I can pray. And then as I do that, different things will come up in my understanding in English and I'll pray those out. And then I'll go back to praying in the Spirit. The, the Bible uses the same word ought over in Romans chapter 8 to say uh, the Spirit will... Um, I'm, I can't think of the verse. Anyway, it says the same thing, that the Spirit will intercede for us and pray what we ought to pray. I butchered the verse, but that's what it says. Okay, and it's the same idea. He will pray the exact thing that's right, that's necessary for that situation through you. And then Paul, again, over in 1 Corinthians 14 said, so what am I gonna do? I'm gonna pray in the Spirit and I'm gonna pray in my understanding. I'm gonna sing in the Spirit I'm going to sing in my understanding. So you kind of go back and forth between the two. The Holy Spirit is your partner in prayer. Um, so this word ought, he said, we ought to pray at all times. It means, this is great. It means that which is inevitable, giving the calling, position, and assignment of believers. That which is inevitable. We ought to pray. Prayer is inevitable. Given who we are and what our assignment is, it's inevitable that we would pray what is necessary and suited for the needs of the moment. In that sense, consistent and persistent prayer is natural. It's expected. It's necessary. It's what believers are going to do. We have faith in God. We see a situation. We're going to pray. We don't have. It doesn't have to be this. Okay, now you know what do I do and how do I do it? And or or oh, we should have prayed over that. It's just the natural thing to do. It's just to pray over situations. That makes sense. All right. So Jesus goes on here, uh, and you'll have to. I you know couldn't anywhere near fit all this up there. So you have to follow me in your Bibles. He says, you know, I'm making the point that at all times they ought to pray and not give up and lose heart, saying. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and had no respect for man. 
there was a desperate widow in that city and she kept coming to him and saying, give me justice and legal protection from my adversary. For a time he would not, but later he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow continues to bother me, I will give her justice and legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will be an intolerable annoyance and she will wear me out. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says and will not our just God defend and avenge his elect, his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in providing justice on their behalf? I tell you that he will defend and avenge them quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find this kind of persistent faith on the earth? So first of all, Jesus is contrasting the unjust judge with God, not comparing the unjust judge with God. I've heard people try to teach that this unjust judge that's what God's like. You got to drive him crazy or you'll never get your prayers answered. You know, we're supposed to be there like a fly in his face, you know, just driving. That's not what he's saying. He made it very clear, you know, look what happened with the unjust judge. Won't our just God, he contrasts the two. Okay, so don't just don't try to pull the nature of God uh, out of that end, out of the, the story about the unjust judge or the definition of the unjust judge. But what he's saying is, you know, especially, I mean, that, that, last, that last part of that verse is what's so important. Jesus asks the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find this kind of persistent faith on the, faith on the earth? He's looking for faithfulness. He is looking for persistence, not against God, but he is looking for us to be persistent in our prayer, to continue to press in and to continue to pray God's will into this earth over situations that don't look like they're changing, all right? To pray justice into injustice, to pray healing into sickness, to pray, to continue to pray. It's like, this is our role to be here, to do what God has asked, to pray, to be consistent. People say, well, what if this doesn't happen? What if, uh, you know, what if the person dies? Well, then we all have to face that situation. We all have to figure out, well, then am I going to go on and pray for the next one, like the Lord said, or am I going to give up? Am I going to lose heart, faint, and give up because of that? Or am I going to press through? And I'm going to, I'm going to say something to you here. Um, there are a couple of things with this. Why do we give up? And I'll probably go into this more a different week, but I'll get a couple out today. Why do we give up? You know, one thing is a lot of us have been taught that if we pray about something for a little while and it doesn't happen, then we just sort of fall back into, well, it must not be God's will. It must not be God's will. And that's become kind of a, you know, here's the thing about that. If he said it, it's his will. If he promised it, and Jesus died for it, it's his will. We don't always get it accomplished on this earth. That's a fact. It's a one none of us like, okay? But we've got to learn to go past that. And we've got to learn that when something doesn't happen, and we know good and well is God's will, don't fall back into this, well, that must not have been the will of God. Well, then why did he say it? 
Why did Jesus die and carry that sickness to the cross if it was not his will to heal? Why did God say, I am the healer? I am the Lord God, your healer, if it's not his will for him to heal. Okay, now this is assuming that we have spent time with God on the front end and we know what we're praying is according to his will. It's no good us praying things that are not according to his will, but we have all these promises. We got to spend time in the word. We got to know we, we have that framework to work from. And if we're confident in that, we need to stand in confidence in that. And not just, it just becomes an excuse for people. Well, it must not have been God's will. No, it, it was his will. I don't know why we didn't get it, but I'm not going to say it wasn't his will. Okay, that's one thing. Secondly, and this is something I'm just still thinking about. I've always said to you, and I still stand by this, why questions asking why? Why didn't this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to a good person? Asking those kind of questions. Usually, I mean, it's just, it's fruitless. It just, I never get answers to that. I mean, because the answer is so basic and it's so obvious to us, this is not heaven, this is earth. You know, we are still in a battle here. Jesus has not returned yet. You know, we're in a battle. We're going to be in a battle with the devil. There's still a devil out there trying to steal, kill, and destroy. There's still people out there making terrible decisions that harm other people. There's all kinds of evil going on in the earth. We are here to enforce the victory of the cross. We're in a fight, and we're going to be in a fight, and that's the way it's going to be. So that covers a lot of that. However, I do see, and I think I'll just wrap it up with this. I don't know what time it is. I'm not even going to look. Uh, don't tell me. <laughs> Everybody just looked at their watch. Um, I do see where Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? I should have looked this up. And, and, when, he came, yeah, and when he came down, uh, his disciples had been down there trying to cast the devil out of somebody. And they couldn't get the, the demon out. And, and so they went to Jesus. And, and Jesus said, how long do I have to be with this faithless generation? And then, I'm always glad to see he got frustrated too. And then, and then he cast the devil out of the person. And then they took him aside. His disciples took him aside and said, what happened? Why couldn't we cast it out? The first lesson there is they had cast other devils out and they were surprised that one didn't come out. So they approached that and they were like, they, were, they came to it with the expectation, we will be able to cast this devil out. That's important. It, it wasn't like, well, Let's see if it works. You know, they, they, they believed this was going to happen. They were kind of shocked that it didn't happen. So their response to that was they went to Jesus. They didn't say, Jesus, why are there still devils loose on the earth? Why is this? Why is that? Why isn't earth perfect? They didn't ask those kind of why questions. But they did say, what, what happened there? Why couldn't we deal with that? They wanted instruction. They wanted to do it better next time. Those kind of why questions are good for us to ask because we do need that instruction. We'll need it all of our lives. When, you know, when we go into a situation and we expect something and it doesn't happen, that's the, I hope you can see that, you know, it's a difference. It's a why question, but it's a different why question as to, we aren't questioning why didn't you do this, God? Okay, because he already did it, right? He already moved in Christ. Why didn't you do this? Why, you know, we aren't asking that. We're saying, what happened there? How can I do this better next time? And he told them. And what he said was, because of your unbelief. That was his answer to them. You had unbelief. Why? I don't know why they went into that. I don't know what was going on there. 
But anyway, they had unbelief. That was his answer there. And he said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. He wasn't referring to the devil. He was referring to the unbelief in their hearts. Spend time with God and get that out. And then you can deal with, with the devil, okay? It, because then he cast it out and he didn't pray or fast before he cast it out. He just cast out the devil, right? So my point there is those kind of why questions, we should be in that we're disciples, we should be in that. We don't understand everything about prayer. We're going to teach on prayer for a few weeks. We're not going to understand everything about prayer. Why do we quit? Well, that's a good question. You know, are we just getting discouraged? Are we something really hurtful happen? What is it? Figure it out. Work through it with the Lord so that you can be, so that your prayers can be effectual and fervent. It's still not 11 o'clock and we're going to quit. Okay, let's stand up and pray. It'll freak out the children's church people. It's always good. I always hear about it later. You were early. Just three minutes. Yeah, but you usually go 10 minutes over. Yeah, I know. Father, we thank you for this this morning. And Lord, I, again, I just pray that you would stimulate in all of us a hunger for, gosh, I just never have the right words for some of the stuff, just for a strong, vibrant, intimate prayer life with you. Lord, that prayer would be something that just floods through us, Lord, and that it is fervent and effectual, Lord God, that that miracle working life goes through us. Teach us, Lord, just like your disciples asked, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Lord, I just pray that as we're looking at this, Lord, as we're looking at this over the next few weeks, Father, that you just inspire us so that we can bring heaven to earth in our community, in our realm, in our families, you know, Lord, everywhere that you would have us to touch. And I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're going to be dismissed on the count of three. Say, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. (laughs) Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Go out there and be the church. for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.